Are, are you? Oh, I see we're recording. <laughs> you fucked me up, Tim. Usually you're like, all right, here we go. I, I could never make it in the real world. Well, you 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 said it this time, so I figured, all right, let's let's do it live. All right, all right, fuck it, let's do it live. Season two, episode sixteen of Stash of Matter, steering Grand Prix recap. Tim, MLB is in a sticky situation. Stanley Cup's going on right now. We got to make some predictions. Celtics got a brand new bag and a brand new coach. In our cup this week, it's a Kolsch from Stowe, Vermont, and a whiskey, a Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. From Lynchburg, right. Tennessee. Follow us on Instagram at Stats of Matter and Twitter at Stats Podcast. I've been told we're pretty funny. Uh, and find us wherever you get your podcast: Stitcher, Apple, Google, Spotify. You know what the deal is, Tim? My body's ready. Let's get into the show. Usually, in uh, what's in our cup, we usually will crack things that we've never had before. We're going to break the rules this week. You got mm. some whiskey, which I'm sure you've, mm-hmm. you've probably had before. And I have a keg beer. But this is a good problem to have. Break us off of what you're drinking this week, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I, uh, I I know I've been down this road before where I've said that uh, <laughs> I'm kind of dialing back a little bit on the amount of beers I'm consuming. Yeah. And I found myself this week at one of those predicaments where podcast day rolls around and the only beer i have in my fridge is left over from last week so uh i decided kind of dip into the old cabinet a little bit and actually try to grab one of these guys and uh, maybe dive a little bit more into the the flavor profiles than uh than i had been on the on the first go round because you open it you're trying it and then it it's relegated to the the cabinet until you know you think to go about it next time so uh the one i'm having now I only had the neck pour of, and there's a little bit of controversy out in the real world when it comes to uh, quality of whiskey based off of where in the bottle yeah. you get it from. What the hell the, is a neck, the neck pour? pour? The neck pour is the, uh, the the first pour that basically comes from the neck of the bottle, hmm. right? So some folks think that that tends to be uh, a little bit more harsh, a little bit more unrefined, whether it's the settling process or whether the ethanol is kind of moved. There's lots of things out there. There's also a lot of uh, information out there that, that, that says that that's all just patently incorrect and that <laughs> it's the same at the bottom. It's a placebo but, effect um, for whiskey. <laughs> exactly. There is, there is some of that. I think, I mean, there are factors that do tend to go into it, you know, oxidation when it's open, if it's not properly sealed, all that sort of stuff, the flavor. I can't say we'll we'll alter a little bit and change a little bit uh, in a bottle as you know air kind of circulates through it and 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 whatnot. So um, while I had a neck pour of this one, this isn't uh, this isn't one I've gone back to to try, and it's not one I would typically associate with you know higher end whiskeys. Um, uh, but I think it falls somewhere uh, sort of in the middle of the pack. So um, it is Jack Daniels, the single barrel barrel proof selection. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what that means. Uh, single barrel is exactly the way it sounds, where it is a singular barrel that got that was used to bottle um, all of these. They're all labeled based off of that particular barrel. Uh, now, barrel proof tends to be uh, uh, really higher proof than what you would normally buy. Tends to be at like the legal limit when it goes into the barrel, and then it kind of ages over time, and then it, it it can increase as water evaporates through the normal aging process. So. This is one of those bad boys. Um, this bottle is actually uh, bottle number 18, 
9516. So it'll likely be in like the, the 18 series. Um, so if you're out there and you're checking it out, uh, you might be able to find one that's similar to this. Um, but this bad boy was actually bottled in 2018. So it's got a little age to it, which is kind of nice. But uh, it's 132 proof, Whew. which puts it at around uh, 66%. So it is nothing to, uh, to shake a stick at. So. Yikes. Oh, there you oh, go. Every time. Get a neck pour out of the neck, which Every is her poop there. All the sounds in this episode of Sassamere Podcast. Uh, so like always, uh, you gonna drink from the bottle prefer... or are you gonna put it in a decanter? What are we doing here? Uh, just a, a straight up little glass, you know, whiskey glasses, much like beer glasses, uh, for the most part are a little sort of gimmicky, right? Like some of them definitely release more aromas that you take in as you drink, but for the most part, that flavor is not going to be drastically different, and whiskey is the same way. Hardcore beer snobs might tell you that you have to drink it out of a snifter or some sort of uh, whiskey glass. But for the most part, it's all somewhat the same. So I just happened to grab a glass on my way in and snifters in the in the cabinet. So just a normal little little sampling glass here. And as always, uh, whenever I'm sampling, for the most part, I drink all of my neat. Yeah, I was we'll always ask, almost put it in the rocks, you know, salt in the rim. <laughs> <laughs> That's blasphemy. <laughs> uh, you shut your mouth. Uh, no, so I always uh, generally I tend to drink mine neat, um, but I'll always do neat first out of the glass, no matter. I mean, uh, out of the bottle when it's my first, you know, few samplings just to get a real flavor of it. And then, you know, if you need to change it up or, or modify it. But right off the bat, this one smells really good. It doesn't have you would expect a pretty big like alcohol bite on the on the nose like that uh that little sting but you don't it does it smells like a anybody who's had whiskey knows what jack daniels is right we all started taking shots of that when we were younger um 21 when we were 21 years always, of age yep wink yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those that like when i was at a wedding and there was open bar and i didn't want to fill up it, jack daniels rocks it was sort of my go-to so this is obviously a very very big more refined brother of that but it smells similar but a little bit sweeter so if you're one of those that overdid it with jack daniels it's probably smell wise isn't going to be for you but give it a give it a dabble 33 steps everyone knows the rules Mm. so right off the bat very smooth everyone sees that high barrel punch and thinks that that's uh, immediately going to give it a burn. And that is true in some cases. But when you start getting into the older styles, um, and, you know, I, I mentioned a second ago, but the reason you get that high ABV is a lot of the water has evaporated out of it. So what you're left over with is the like a lot more of that, that alcohol. Um, but it doesn't have that big ethanol burn that you get out of some of these. This is actually surprisingly smooth for 66% uh, alcohol. You know what I mean? That, that, that to me yeah. sounds like it would be like jet fuel. Like you would definitely taste ethanol on the way in. I mean, if you're not like, if you're not a regular consumer, right, you're not someone who dabbles very often. And I would still consider myself like a moderate dabbler, but I've probably got like 25 different bottles of different proofs and strengths and, and in companies and distilling processes. Um, but this, you know, given the Jack Daniels name, you obviously associate that sometimes with lower 
sort of bottom of the barrel. And I don't, I don't get that at all. I think this is, I think this bottle runs $45, give or take 50 bucks. And I would say it is well worth that. Uh, a couple other half four packs. So yeah, you know, attainable. Yeah. But like one sip of this is all four plus four other of your <laughs> uh, other half. So um, yeah, that is, that is really good. I'm going to give this one. Don't forget, I do my whiskey scales on a one to ten because there's a much bigger range. So I'm gonna give this one like a seven two. Seven seven two. Like, Why not like a seven three or a yeah. seven five? Uh, or a seven. I mean seven five. I would put seven five and above into like the top tier class. Uh, okay. Like that top that top section I would put in like seven five to eight is probably sort of bottom level of like the better ones I've ever had. Uh, and this is this is surprisingly close, but when you start getting into like E.H. Taylor's and Peerless and some of the other ones, which I will dive into okay. at some point, <laughs> lots of the sauce over here, boss. I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're basically there. are other uh, there are other whiskey brands that have you know I have one in the house that I haven't opened yet called Seagrass that's uh, aged in burden, uh, brandy and uh, like fruited barrels and stuff. So that one. That one will have a little bit more of an aroma, probably a little bit more of like a, uh, while it's not going to sound all that appealing, more of like a perfumey type flavor. Well, no, I mean, just because I, of the I think some of the drinks extra aromas have, that are in Yeah, there. you definitely want a little a little enticing smell. I mean, that's what people draws people to IPAs, right? The pungent fruit smell. So, uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. you're on the you're on the right track there. All right, yeah. seven two. Uh, so seven two. Um, find it, get it, and enjoy it. This this could be one that you know we would refer to as a daily drinker, if you will, like one that you're not afraid to open up and finish because, you know, either how much the bottle costs or how hard it was to get. This should be semi-readily available. And if you can happen to land this variant in a store pick, chances are it's going to be even better. So store pick is one where uh, the, the store was able to acquire several samples and they helped tweak which barrel they wanted to get. And then when they select it, that barrel was dedicated specifically to that store. They got all these crazy stickers all over them. It's become like a thing. In my opinion, whiskeys are becoming like the new craft beer, the new IPA where, you know, every there's like massive secondary markets that have always been there, but now it's even more prevalent. So I think it's, it's definitely, you know, COVID kind of fast tracked that a little bit, but I'd say it's probably uh, uh, catching up, if not surpassing the, the IPAs of the world now. Mm. So what you're saying is we need a whiskey barrel aged IPA. Well, wait, they probably exist. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely stouts that that do exist. True that. All right, seven two. Listen, I'm a big fan of cans, but I'm also a big fan of supporting the local economy. And the local economy does not mean it just has to be necessarily in the DMV area. Okay, I obviously have a lot of uh, fan favorites. I lived most of my life in the Northeast. I'm partial to Northeast beers. One of my favorite breweries is Bessel Brothers. Everyone knows that. That being said, Vermont, unbelievable amount of great breweries. One of those breweries is Von Trapp. And they make nothing but the finest pilsners and lagers. And those are beers that are hard to make. Anyone can just go ahead and throw a massive metric fuck ton amount of hops in a boil, dry hop it about eight times, sell for $22 a four pack, and hope that no one pays attention if it doesn't die within 60 to 90 days. But this brewery, these motherfuckers right here, okay, they make fantastic, mm. clean, true-to-style Pilsers and Lagers. I put them up there with Suarez family. 
I put them up there with Eagle Rock, like in, in the amount of lagers that they brew. Von Trapp is just so amazing. If you're from Vermont, Von Trapp is like what you get at the gas station. It's like switchback, right? Like it's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Here, we don't get Von Trapp. We just don't. And if we do, it's like a limited run of a couple six packs and it's like a certain lager or a pilsner they make. I've been to Burlington a couple of times. I've been to Stowe. I know a great lager when I taste one. And when I heard that the brew shop in Arlington, shout out to the brew shop where I get all my kegs and cans. And if you're in Northern Virginia, you're not going there doing something wrong. Every couple of weeks, I call them up. I said, hey, I need, I need a new six. So what you got? He said, oh, we got this. We got this. We got this. Oh, we got Von Trapp. I'm like, stop. I'll take that. I don't, I don't go past the Von Trapp. If there's a Bohemian Pilsner, if there is a uh, Hellas Lager, if, if there is a German Pilsner, if there's anything from Von Trapp, the minute I hear Von, I know what the next word is, and I say, that's the one I'll take. This week, they said, we got a Stowe-style Kolsch. I love Kolsch's anyways. They're very, very crisp, clean, refreshing beer. But I, I'm thinking Stowe-style, that sounds hoppy to me. They confirmed. They said, yeah, it's a hoppy Kolsch. I'm like, I've never had hoppy Kolsch before in my life. And I was like, well, if it tastes like an IPA, then no one else would drink it in the house but me. So uh, this is this is a gamble. But yes, I will take it. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this beer right here. Smells almost like an India Pale Lager on the nose. So if you ever had an IPL, India Pale Lager, it's basically a lager that's just been dry hopped to, you know, the heavens. Um, you get that nice hop bitter characteristic, but it's very clean. You can see through it. It's so quenchable. You can have about 16 of them. Not even feel a damn thing. The one thing I love about Kolsch's, it's the perfect summer beer. I understand why Germans brew them the way they do, because it's so refreshing. You smell this thing. It smells like an India Pale Lager. You taste this thing, which I'm about to do right now. And spoiler alert, I've had about seven or eight of these pints since I got the keg. So, you know, this is this is a amalgam of my old reviews, but... It uh, it looks like yellow Gatorade. It is practical. This this would be like uh, hey, hey Sam, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know, Tim, what are you doing? Yeah, hey, we got a we got an adult softball game. All right, cool, I'll come. And then I, I I sit in the outfield for two innings and sweat my balls off. And I'm like, yeah, I need a beer. And everyone's like, well, we're getting Gatorade. I'm like, well, I have my own Gatorade. That that's what this is. This is like an adult softball Gatorade, and it is right. fantastic. A ton of effervescence, which we just went over in the last episode. But this beer holds its carbonation quite well um and it's absolutely great and i'm so happy i got a six to love it 40 minus at least eight pints to go so <laughs> i don't think this will last nice. as long as my as my last keg but i'm very happy about that shout out to von trap in Stowe, vermont if you get a chance definitely got to go to the brewery or if you see the beers you got to grab them so that's what's in our mm. cups this week need to go find it wherever you see it now we got a couple things to talk about sports wise Mm-hmm. And, we, mm-hmm. and we got some good feedback last week on uh, on our quick hit with the NCAA thing. I mean, I think Tim's opinions on those were all wrong, but yeah, this is what happens, right? We we're, we live in a contrarian society. It's fine. I'm going to give a quick a quick hit about Formula One because we got a big thing mm-hmm. to get into, and that's sticky stuff in baseball. So I'm not going to take any more time. Let me give you a quick recap. Styrian Grand Prix happened in Austria this past weekend. We said in the last episode, Red Bull's getting some momentum. Red Bull whooped that ass this weekend. Red Bull made seven-time mm. champion Mercedes look like they were standing still. Red Bull lapped everyone in the field except for Mercedes. And there are 20 cars in the grid. And for you to lap 18 of them, 
and almost catch the 19th and the 20th drivers is astounding. Whatever Red Bull did in their car and what they're doing this year, whether I've read some articles, maybe it's aerodynamics, maybe it's a shorter wing in the back, maybe it's more aggressive use of DRS in certain parts of the tracks. They're fantastic. In qualifying, they were two-tenths of a second faster than Mercedes, which has been the long-standing fastest car in Formula One. Two-tenths of a second. If you can't make that up, that means every lap you're adding another two-tenths on. Max Verstappen won this race by 10 seconds. That's an astounding amount of distance. Um, And Mercedes realized about 40 to 50 laps into the race that they had second and third on lock, and that was where their strategy went. They said we're not going to go for the we're not going to go for the the top part of the podium. We need to get points, and they hoped that there was going to be a restart with rain, but the rain held out, and Red Bull was killing it, absolutely killing it. Mm. Um, they needed to get the points. They got the points. They have another round of the steering Grand Prix this weekend because it was a rescheduled race. Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton says we don't have any more updates coming in the car, but I'd like one. Total Wolf team, you know, principal is like, we're not doing any more updates to the car this year. I don't know what to do about that. You got to figure out what you're going to do there. Strategy-wise, things are kind of getting back in, in the seat for Mercedes. You have to come up with something. The fact that Red Bull is scoring points in P1 and P4 means that the lead that they have for the Constructors' Cup, which is now over 20 points, is going to get out of hand in a few races if you don't come back with something. I said it for a few times. I think this is going to be a great season. This is going to be a battle. I'm really surprised to see Mercedes have no answer to getting punched in the fucking face, like a la Mike Tyson Mm. style. Uh, It was a great race, but Max led from the get-go. He never had to worry about doing anything but managing his tires because he had a 10-second lead. Like, I just... If if you're a fan of auto racing, 10 seconds is an eternity. It's an eternity in pit lane. Yep. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not making that time up. And that's something that Lewis actually said on the radio. He's, you know, he said to his, his team engineer, he's like, Bono, like, he's 10 seconds ahead of me, mate. Like, what do you want me to do with this? And they're like, Lewis, just, just keep after the tires and let's get these points. For a seven-time world champion to be told by his team engineer, like, you got, you got P2, bro. Like, bring it home. That has got yeah. to be fucking infuriating, right? Like, you've got to be looking yeah. at that and being like, no, I didn't come here to get second. I came here to win. And to not have the power out of your car because of whatever, whether it's aerodynamics, whether it's loss of a power unit, whether it's too much graining on the tires, which we've talked about, like it was astounding. I have not seen, and I've been watching Formula One for just over a year now. I've not seen a race like this in which Red Bull literally, literally just spanked the shit out of a seven-time world champion team. It's amazing. So I, I'm super excited to see what's going to happen this weekend. Obviously, the long, the line Red Bull engine issues that they had, the hybrid engine that they have with Honda, those issues are no more. They get stupid amounts of power out of it. Knowing that it's Red Bull's home track and they have back-to-back races there, I think we'll see more of the same this weekend. I think we'll see Max leading from the front again. I think he'll get first. And I think Lewis and uh, Valtteri Bratas will take P2 and P3. And I think they'll just keep those points because they want to stay within striking distance. you got to have points. But my goodness, we're about halfway through the season at this point. You've got to have a better a better counterpunch. And I just, I expected a lot more. So that that was fantastic to me. So everyone, this Sunday... 9 o'clock a.m. on the dot on the worldwide leader. Watch that. Watch that Grand Prix.
I would say I was going to show you guys what 10 seconds sounds like by just having silence for 10 actual seconds, but it would be so awkward. I'm going to skip it. So just slowly <laughs> count to 10 and picture uh, picture what that's like when you're driving. 200 miles an hour and almost 200 yeah. miles an hour. Or let's, let's say over 150 miles an hour and you're still 10 seconds away from someone. That's, that's demoralizing. Yeah. Well. Let's get into let's get into this sticky situation, Tim. The MLB has had this issue for a long time. Juice baseballs, mm-hmm. cork bats, people tipping pitches off. They decided that the hill they wanted to die on was sticky stuff. Pitchers using foreign substances to get more of a grip. What does that do? Mm-hmm. You might ask. Well, it allows the balls to be thrown and manipulated in a way that makes them harder to hit. And what happened to this year? People ain't hitting home runs. What does that mean? I guess we gotta go draconian and say any sort of sticky stuff that we see that's outside the rules, we're gonna go ahead and give you a ten game suspension for. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but like that's that's where the MLB is deciding they wanna they wanna live and die. So there's a new rule in which pitchers are checked on the mound randomly by umpires now a couple times a game when they mm-hmm. come out of the bullpen right to go into the game for relief. Um, their gloves are checked, their hands are checked. And if there's any foreign substances found, the glove is confiscated. They're rejected from the game. They're suspended for 10 games without pay. Uh, And there's an investigation. It seems like the most absolute knee-jerk reaction. And uh, the first victim, I guess you could say, uh, was Mariner's pitcher the other night. He was suspended for 10 games. He's obviously appealing it. Um, He said that the only thing that was on his glove was Rosen. And a, a Rosen bag is allowed to be on the mound, but it's just not supposed to be on the glove. So that he said that the mixture that's in his glove was rosin and sweat and a little bit of sunscreen. I call bullshit, but that's because every pitcher, Tim, uses foreign substances. So yep. just like the MLB is wont to do, they're quickly becoming the, the no fun league. I, I, think, mm. I, I think that a little bit of sticky stuff is part of the game. What, what, what are your thoughts? Ah. We should have saved this one for a quick hit, I think, because I drastically disagree with that. No, I think the, the the league the league has gone uh, very much in the way of protecting and affording all of the advantages to pitching. Um, it is already an almost impossible task to hit a baseball. It is right. Yeah. Like the reason we see the reason we see all of these you know gaudy numbers from batters is because. You know, they are in the top percentage of the entire planet of people who can hit baseballs. But the actual act of hitting a baseball is almost it it should be physically impossible because you have mere milliseconds to determine where you're swinging the bat compared to where the ball is supposed to be based off of the trajectory you see it coming out of his hand. I think, you know. Cracking down on foreign substances, the way that they can manipulate and, and control these balls is totally acceptable because there's already enough i mean the hills are higher than they needed to be uh the grooves on the baseballs tend to be a little thicker than they used to be so they can already do a lot with the baseballs in the way they are now everything favors the pitcher to go out and give them like an additional advantage it's just it's it's too much how many no hitters have we seen over the last few years like that's been constantly on the rise granted some of that is is tied to the need to you know try and hit home runs every single time you're at bat so strikeouts and stuff are up as well but 
I mean, we're not talking like, are you replacing a ball because there's a, a like a, a ding or a nick in the ball that, that uh, pitchers can use to their advantage? No, you're talking about actually manipulating the ball with something that isn't part of the normal game. Like if you found a way to use sweat and, and resin out of the, the resin bag to somehow make that work in your advantage, sure. I mean, we're not talking spitballs. We are talking like tacky, right. like car style that lets you literally hold the ball uh and it like you've seen the video of the guy who's literally like sticking his hand up and the ball just sort of sticks to the palm of his hand yeah. right like that's yeah an exaggeration that's clearly not what they're doing out there but it's enough that like you should be able to game plan against the pitcher being slightly less accurate because it's hot and sweaty outside and his hands are probably a little bit more damp right He's not a he's not a wide receiver. He's not out there in wide receiver gloves. He's literally out there with something that gives him full, complete control over a ball coming at you, you know, 95 miles an hour. And some people might say, oh, well, I would prefer to have that extra contact. But it's not they're not throwing it straight. They're really throwing balls that defy physics as they come at you. And it's just it's I, I think it. You know, however long it's been going on, sure, that's great. But that would be the same thing as trying to excuse like a level of steroid use because it's been going on for so long. It's only a little bit of steroids. Okay. And they're only, it's only giving them maybe a slight advantage, but it's not game breaking. That's, it's not the case. I mean, if batters had a way to, you know, expose some sort of, you know, loophole by having, having some sort of additive or, you know, let's say the, the opposing, I mean, the, they found a way to mark the ball so they could see it better. Like, stupid things like that. Those would be things you'd want to get rid of the game because it's giving an unfair advantage to, you know, whoever else. We're not talking legitimate st- sign stealing by a guy who's on second base. This is an, an additive that's being introduced to the that's, game. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I, I think banging trash cans is the worst part of the game. And this is this is where it's real suspect for me, Tim. I, I, I will see the point that you make about spider tack, which is what some pitchers like Garrett Cole gave really convoluted answers, almost to the point of tears. I got serious fucking questions about that. But mm-hmm. spider tack aside, Rosen, experiment with it. Put a little sunscreen, a little sweat. I mean, those are all natural elements. Like, I'm, I'm cool with that, right? I like seeing, you know, the slow-mo of the balls that literally just look like they're floating through space and time. Like... Like they got the time yep. stone or some shit. Um, I, I think that I think that's cool. I think it I think it's a good strategy part of the game. But remember, people cheated to win a World Series, and there wasn't suspensions. There wasn't for the players. You know what I mean? Like it was just for the for the yeah. for the leaders. So like, why are we going up to pitchers? Why was Hector Santiago from from the Mariners, for example? Why did he get a ten game suspension? What did you do with the glove? Well, you know what I mean? Like, come on, there there just seems to be a little I, bit of no I fun mean, that's going on in the league right now. And I will say, my last my last thing on this: if you're a pitcher and you're getting checked, bro, you got you got to act a little bit. None of this bullshit. Let me pull my pants down and say, "Oh, I don't got anything." Oh, throw a hissy fit like Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer yeah. have been doing. Because Shohei Otani, he's not doing that. He's like he's playing with the umps. He's like, "Yeah, sure, check me. You know, underneath my armpits, good. You know, here's my wrist. Like underneath my fingernails. Do you?" And he's like, he goes to pull his belt and he's like, "You want me to check?" And you're like, "Nah, we're good." All these other guys are acting like it's an affront to their like ego. And Garrett Cole has yeah. been throwing some really shifty pitches since this whole spider tag thing. I don't know if that's confidence or what, but you got to have some substance. MLB is testing a substance to affect the surface of the baseball. 
So the fact that they're going mm-hmm. after players while they're trying to drum up and R&D their own solution, that's mad suspect to me, Tim. I don't. So the, the thing with Scherzer, like I could see where his you know frustration came from because it was multiple times. But they were called for by the 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 other coach. Now, do they? It's tough. Like, can you limit the amount of times that a player can be checked? But then you can game plan around those limits. And when it comes to uh, when it comes to the guy that got suspended, like that just comes down to that guy. I mean, he's just an idiot at that point. I mean, he uh, may be. We, it, we don't it, know. San Diego, like you know, it's it's like cheating. And taking steroids in the height of the steroid era, where when after they started testing everybody, like you know, you're probably going to get tested if there's some sort of performance improvement, or if there's if there's something that's drastically different out there than what you're normally expected to to perform like, uh, and you are exceeding that, you're going to get tested. So the guys who go out. And clearly, there's there's something that has changed, and they test positive for steroids. You're just an idiot. The same way that you know, depending on what this turns out to be, like if you go out with anything that even resembles uh, some type of you know substance that you're not supposed to have, it's I'm sorry, like that's on you. You should have like first of all, like why is resin inside your glove, not your pitching hand that you're picking it up and you're drying it off and you're using it Look, that way i know you're a baseball it's, player i've never really played baseball but i think you take your pitching hand and you put it into the glove where the ball is so it would if okay if but I'm they found lawyer, it on the palm yes, underneath I, yeah, yeah where yeah. okay so leather doesn't absorb liquid and then <laughs> disperse it on the other side objection, that's why they make leather objection. jackets leading the witness, leather your honor. leading your leading the witness no so when you go out and you pick up the bag, literally, you see guys, the, the the glove is usually tucked under their hands. They'll pick it up and they'll they'll dry their some guys will tuck it and they'll they'll pat it down, but it's 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 meant to dry your hand. When you find it literally packed down and mixed with other shit on the inside of a leather surface, it's not just not just build up. It's it was on purpose. The same way you saw guys who had shit all over their hat, it would be pine tar or their neck that they would get their arms from, from bats. Yeah. yeah, like you, if if you're making an obvious attempt to hide it, then it should not be something that is allowed. Like if it was allowed, you should be able to just walk up and here's a little, you know, buffet of shit for your finger that you can just dabble your finger in and be like, okay, we're good. What no. what would be wrong it's, with doing that in baseball, Tim? The fact that the MLB is trying to doctor their own substance that will affect spin rate but not make it unhittable. To me, says that they That's care a-, a little more about runs than they, they might do about like the strategy or growing the game, and I think that uh, you you have that completely reverse. You have it completely reverse right now. There's a movement to make the game more entertaining because people like to see hits, they like to see home runs, and with the doctoring of the ball, it does make guys unhittable. Like it, we're we're too early on in the season but the MLB to really is determine doing it. what this means. So the MLB must think at some point that like whatever they're doctoring to the ball will give it an effect to make pitchers comfortable and make hitters feel like they can swing it and connect. You know what I mean? What do you mean they're doctoring the ball? The, the MLB is actively testing a substance to to perform grip on the ball. Like there, there, there's a certain company, there's an SI article from a few years ago, like there's a certain company that creates mud that softens the outside of the ball. Oh, you know what I mean? Like NFL that's, football that's, is like... It's- no, I know what you're talking about. It's it's thank you. See, you're, I, you're I thought, I conflating. Think most you're conflating. Like, oh, making this shit up again. 
No, I'm not. <laughs> no, no, no. You're you're conflating uh, two different things, right? Oh no, so no, no, no. One of them you're talking about is to help make it so you can actually hold the ball and not club a guy in the face because trying to hold on to it. They swap balls out mid-game every few pitches if you see it. If there's a nick on it to help avoid any sort of like advantage to the pitcher, it's gone. Like they they go through like hundreds of balls in a week. So if every time you're throwing out a new ball and the pitcher is holding brand new rawhide, uh, if there's any sort of moisture on his finger, that ball can come out in any direction. Now you're worried about player safety. What they do is they they doctor the, the ball with like mud and clay to mm-hmm. tear up the surface a little bit mm-hmm. to make it easier so to actually grip. hold the ball. Yeah. That is very different from making a ball stick to your fingers so that you can give the ball whatever rotation you want. We, we've the already seen it on the ball are literally all you need. No, but all of it. Anything other than like the way the ball comes out of it is doctoring a ball in the way to make it spin artificially. And it does make it unhittable. If a guy can throw a 90 mile an hour cutter that normally might break, you know, let's call it eight inches. That's much more manageable than one that literally starts at your shoulder and then breaks down to your knees outside of the zone. That is unhittable. It's almost impossible. As as a batter, you learn to judge where the ball is leaving an, at the angle of where the arm comes out. You can pick up the spin of the ball and you can see generally, you know, for a split second, what you know, how many fingers they have on the ball. All of those things you become like in tune with looking at while you're standing there, if you're used to all that and suddenly the ball's acting completely, you know, without the realm of possibility, it's, it's almost impossible. And right now baseball is in a place where they're trying to grow the game and make it more entertaining. Nobody wants to really see pitching duels unless you're a hardcore fan or you're someone who, who actually enjoys watching the game. So now what you're doing is you're, you're taking away what people want to see. They want to see hits. They want to see home runs. They want to see uh, high scoring games. And now if you're essentially turning everything into a pitcher's duel, then it's just not what they're after, right? Player safety is part of it. But you're, it, that's the, the whole reason why they take corks out of bats, right? It's the same exact argument. Well, why not have corks in bats? We're going to see more home runs. Because when they do make contact, it is far more powerful and a stronger connection that it makes it unfair for the pitchers at that point, because now lighter contact makes the ball travel 30, 40, 50 yards further than what it should have been. So if your batters are going to be penalized and you're going to remove any sort of, you know, there's a width to the handle that it has to meet. There's a, there's a length, you know, the, the core of the bat has to be, you know, fully intact. If you ever find out that you have a corked bat, that's also equally as penalizing now as if they have it. I think, what we'll probably find when we compare last year to this year, once the season's over, you're going to find that like the ball velocity is way down. You're going to find strikeouts are probably way down. And it will be a more uh, noticeable and measurable difference that then we'll have to revisit that conversation. If we want to say right now it's just a pain in the ass and it's kind of slowing down the game, sure, we can make that argument. But once we have actual data, I'm willing to bet that it does make a significant difference. And for that, I'm yeah, it's just, yeah, but Tim, you keep making this thing about 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 baseballs like that are that have substances or not. But like, give give me the stats that don't matter. Like, tell me, is there a discernible thing that's happening where like you're seeing a massive drop 
in the miles per hour or like the spin rate of the, of the baseball because like I don't know I, I mean I'm I'm the casual viewer I'm watching mm-hmm. these things and I love the dazzle the razzle dazzle that's going on with the baseballs but like there's still home runs happening Slam Diego is still a thing so obviously these balls with foreign substances pause that sounded wicked bad but we're just gonna roll with it obviously these yep. baseballs with foreign substances is not something that's affecting the game yeah i mean it's we're early on in in the process uh so it's, it's tough to gauge whether or not this is a drastic difference if this is just uh the fact that we're you know we're paying more attention i feel like this is something that's been paid attention to for a while there's statistics you can look up on it but from what we have now, from April 1st until June 21st, uh, it went through a period of no enforcement to uh, enforcement in an unofficial capacity, then to now it's officially being enforced starting June 21st until now. So June 21st until now, you know, we're looking at nine days. It's obviously not a, a, a huge amount of time, but if we're breaking it down by just the numbers, right? So anybody who's not familiar with what the speed or the rotation of a baseball does, the reason a knuckleball is so hard to hit is because there's almost zero rotation on the ball and it kind of floats through the air. Depending on the kind of pitch you throw, what the spin allows it to do is it either allows it to uh, keep the velocity as it breaks through the wind because of the way the seams come down, uh, they come down in a uniform manner and it helps cut through the wind. Now, if you throw the ball at a slightly different angle where you're coming down with like a right to left spin and you're giving it more of a, like a downward trajectory in something like a slider or a curveball, uh, what that rotation does, it allows it to uh, uh, bite a little bit more when it's making that movement. So um, spin rates on a seam, uh, a four seamer is going to make the ball uh, seam and feel a lot faster as it comes in. But the, uh, the spin rotation on a slider, a curveball, or any one of those is going to cause it to break left, break right, and kind of move in and out of the zone a lot. You can start literally at, at your head, and by the time it's done, it breaks into the middle of the of the strike zone. And that's, you know, you're bailing out to not take one to the face, and then you hear the ump, you know, calling you, uh, calling a strike. So it's very, very difficult, and that's why the spin makes that big of a difference, right? So if we're looking uh let's do april 1st till june 2nd the average four seam uh rpms was 2318 there was no enforcement from june 3rd to june 20th they started enforcing it and you already saw a a slight drop 2296 rpms but june 21st until now it takes a significant drop of almost 100 rpms which is 2229 so it doesn't sound like much, but that's that baseball spinning a hundred less times between home plate and the pitcher's mound, which if you've ever stood in on a pitch of any kind, let's go 70, 80, 90 mile an hour, it doesn't matter. If you've ever stood on a pitch and you realize how quick that is, 100 RPMs actually makes a relatively big, or it has the potential to make a relatively big impact. As you're, so, are you saying it makes it easier to hit if it's 100 RPMs less? Uh, I'm saying you might have a little less action on the ball, which would potentially translate into hitting it. Now, pitchers losing RPMs in a single game is possible. Like, that's a fluctuation as your arm gets tired or as you're not throwing quite as hard. That's the same as hitting, uh, you know, 92.5 versus 92.7 miles per hour. It's not a it's not a huge deal. 
Um, but when you start looking at something like uh, a slider, for example, 2,462 RPMs drops down to 2,390. A curveball drops from 2,552 down to 200, uh, 2,456. Now, this is obviously a very small sample size. There's some variance that this could slowly migrate back up to the average. We find that there's really no difference. So this is one of those things we'll have to revisit down the road. But at face value, at the minimal, I, I say minimal enforcement because not everyone's being checked, not all the time, as we see with, you know, guys who are still attempting to kind of push the envelope a little bit and risk suspension and then appeals and whatnot. There could still be people out there who are out trying to game the system. So it may be still artificially inflating some of these, some of these numbers, but across the board, RPMs are down, you know, from 2020 till now almost a hundred RPMs in a seven day stretch. So Let's uh, 50 RPMs. I mean, you can go out to cbssports.com. They do a good little write-up to kind of break down what it means up until this point. Um, like individual players, it's, it, it's an acceptable variance. But when you start getting to an entire league with a 50 RPM variance, that's when it starts becoming a little bit questionable. You're not talking player from start to start, you're talking about everybody starting the game suddenly has a little bit less spin on the ball. Uh, obviously, that kind of draws your attention to some of those numbers. So, um, anyway, we've got we got to wait until we get more information on it. We got to see what this shakes out. Yeah, you know, towards the end of the season, if everything kind of gravitates towards the mean, or as they continue to enforce it, uh, find other ways that people are hiding it, whether or not it continues to drop. If at the end of this year you're seeing like 150 to 200 RPM difference, then that is staggering evidence of a, a an overwhelming advantage in favor of the uh, the pitcher. Allegedly, I just think that the game can grow in a strategy, a strategy. All right, it's not even a word, but a strategy manner, uh, strategy wise. If if you allow certain things like this to happen, and the fact the MLB is coming up with a substance that's separate from the mud that they already use to rough up the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yep. I I just think that's disingenuous. I think that hurts the pitchers. And um, I, as much as I don't like Cole's answer, I also saw a couple pitches he threw that were wayward and almost did beam a dude. <laughs> or as as Tim yeah. Kirchner shouted to Tim Kirchner, he said, buzz the tower. Uh, they were very close, yep. right? So um, in the interest of player safety, I'll cede some of those points to you. But I just think in the game of baseball, if you're looking to get more people involved, there's got to be the pull and the push. There There has to be the counters. And... This isn't a new problem, Tim. It's been a problem for a long time. And now mm-hmm. MLB is like, no, we're going over the top. 10 games well, I mean, what, without pay. Appeal it. What you would want. your, what would your, what would your, I mean, they gave them warning. They, they've discussed this in the past by the is same the conversation. CBA? Are you okay with, is it in the are CBA you okay though? with, it's just a new rule that they, that they, they put I'm into sure rule change. There's, I don't know my way around the CBA enough, but I'm sure there is uh, there is a a manner in which it can be rolled out and then revisited oh, sure. during the next CBA. But 
like by the same token, uh, do we want to allow cork bats? Do we want to allow let's talk NFL? Do we want to allow stick them for quarterbacks so they get better grip? No, but weather? okay. So for example, same idea. You bring up a great point. So like stick them is is not good, but NFL gloves are now at the point where like you just got to put a hand up and you're going to catch it, right? <laughs> so yeah. That, uh, so what's stopping a pitcher from using like an NFL style glove that has like an unbelievable amount of grip? Like what's preventing them from doing that? Nothing. R and D. You know, like they're choosing yep. to go the foreign substances route because that's what's, you know, natural to the game. And I just think you've had years to come up with an answer for this. And your mm-hmm. your knee jerk reaction is to make everything super punishing to make hits come easier. And I just think that's I think mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. that's just punishing. That's just punishing really good pitching outside of the people throwing fucking baby hissy fits when they undo their their belt buckle and pull their pants down in front of 40,000 people and they're like see I don't have any substances like I don't need to see that shit Max Scherzer and let's just Get let's over just it. uh let's just reintroduce let's just allow them to use cork bats then cork bats and sticky shit on your cork uh, bats, steroids on, on your on your yeah this is going to turn into bases loaded <laughs> oh, what was the old Nintendo game it was uh like uh like battle bases or something where you were the uh the robots and if uh, if it was a close play at uh, first base or second base, you ended up fighting about it. Yeah, that's what we're going to end up. In. <laughs> I was like NFL blitz, <laughs> but for MLB. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, one last thing I want to say about the Major League Baseball. Uh, Trevor Bauer is currently facing allegations of some pretty heinous, serious shit. Right. Um, mm. of, of, of the sexual uh, type. And again, these mm-hmm. are allegations. Um, they're pretty heinous. They're they're being investigated by both the MLB, San Diego Police Department, and other agencies. There is a fantastic article on the Athletic that details um, the restraining order that this woman put against Trevor Bauer. Um, I don't think it looks especially fantastic for him. I don't think it looks fantastic for anyone involved in that situation. Um, but we we, yeah. we have to say something about it, right? Um, I think. People believe that professional athletes make millions of dollars and they don't have problems, but they're, they're regular people. And just because you give them millions of dollars doesn't mean they're not necessarily going to err. Doesn't mean that the other people involved with them aren't necessarily going to err and make bad decisions all around. But when you become a professional athlete, you, you're no longer Tim Cronin or Sam Smith. You, you are, you are someone else entirely. Every, every decision you make is going to be scrutinized. Um, again, mm-hmm. allegations. We'll see what the investigation finds out. Um, the MLB is obviously doing their own independent investigation. Uh, Bauer's agent has already come out and, of, of course, spoken in support of his client. We will see what happens. The detail in the athletic article, based off of the restraining order that was filed, is pretty heinous. So I, I don't know where this is going to end up. It's another eyesore for professional sports, and it's something that I wish. I don't want to say that I wish there was like morality clauses in contracts, but there are just some things that just really, really drag down a player or a team or a sport. Uh, and unfortunately no team is impervious from that. Yeah, that is, uh, I won't go into any of the details. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's consenting to some level of involvement doesn't give you full reign or freedom over, any other individual and at the end of it that's what needs to be taken away from yeah uh everything that comes from this right like they're gonna it's a much better way to say it than i did (laughs) yeah there's gonna be lots of uh there's gonna be lots of obviously both sides coming out consensual non-consensual but 
um, judging by some of the things that transpired, um, someone giving you the okay for one particular interaction doesn't mean you then have free reign over them or their body or any part of them, uh, you know, after that. So uh, I would say go look it up, but, you know, trigger warning for sure. 100%. Uh, for any yep. of those who may or may not have been involved. Um, and for those of you who read it and then brush it off as sort of someone just, you know, looking for to, money, trying or, to make some money yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's a strong look in the mirror. This isn't one of those scenarios like you've seen with, you know, not to discredit anybody, but like a masseuse that ended up having an interaction or inappropriate touching or something like that. This is this is some pretty heinous, heinous shit that went down. Yeah. So, um, read underneath. I mean, it, it, warning. But, you know, the information is out there and it's, uh, you know, both, both both sides to the extent of what uh, Bauer has has or his team has offered. But there is some direct quotes from uh, from the victim that are pretty, uh, pretty troubling. And a recorded phone call by the San Diego Police Department. Yeah. That's uh, it's also not not so good. OK, yeah, you got to say that. Um, <clears throat> let's finish out this episode of Assassin's Creed Podcast. Let's talk about this damn Celtics new coach, Ime Uduka. Uh, a Nets mm-hmm. former assistant, knows how to work with players. A guy that was profiled in the athletic. Just talking about toughness. A guy that can command attention in the room. A guy that has played in the yep. league on some teams. And I am hyped, Tim. What have we said for years? That the Celtics have all this talent, but they have no, they have no aggression. They they show up in, mm-hmm. in 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 certain moments and they look like they want to beat the sun out of a team and then they'll lose the next night by like six points. Yep, he may do does not it, seem like that kind of coach whatsoever. No, he doesn't. I mean, he was you know a, a, not a mediocre player. He was a decent player. He was in the league for several years, but uh, it's no secret. And that the article that you actually mentioned touches on a little bit, but he had a very analytical mind. He was mm-hmm. always, you know, helping put his team and the players in the positions they were supposed to be based off of, you know, plays or things that he recognized during the game. So, well, I didn't follow him a lot. Um, I do know, and I, and, you know, I, I, I recall some of the interviews and whatnot back in, in his playing years where uh, he, he seemed very analytical. His teammates and the people we played against talked about how analytical it was. So this kind of seems like a natural segue. I think you find um, a lot of guys who end up kind of in this scenario. Aaron Boone is a great example of someone who was a decent baseball player. I mean, he made some some ruckus and, and a name for himself when uh, he helped beat the Red Sox, uh, you know, with his you know late inning home run. Um, but for the most part, kind of a quiet you know, out of sight, out of mind type of player. But then he came in and he started coaching and said, uh, great success. So I feel like this is one of those types of moves where you had to shake things up a little bit. Brad Stevens, I think, was a good fit, but maybe uh, it was still enough time for a change that while you don't want to completely depart depart away from him because he's been able to put together some great teams that have just underachieved, maybe this sort of shuffling will help them in the long run, keep him involved in sort of, you know, player acquisition, player development, team development, but hand over the reins to somebody uh, who's got a fresh set of eyes, who has sort of a fresh take on the game, somebody who might be able to kind of push his players. Because again, 
Brett Stevens was a young coach, obviously didn't have any playing experience in the league. So you have someone with a similar mindset as far as analytics go, but with the background of being part of the league, I think that might help him connect with players a little bit more and maybe get more out of them. Um, and it allows him to demand a little bit more. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever been in a position where they're underneath a boss who doesn't have any, you know, someone comes in, uh, first time you're working with them, first time they've been with your company, don't really have any experience in, in your business and, and, and whatnot. They just have relation experience to like loosely involved with what it is when they start bossing you around and they start, you know, giving you instructions, you may listen, but there's always that part of you that's like, turn it off. I feel like I know a little bit more than you. Yes. Like I yep. feel like I understand this a little bit more than what you do. You've studied this, but I'm involved in it. And I think this kind of changes that dynamic a little bit where, if the coaching styles end up being the same, the philosophies end up being somewhat the same, but it's coming from somebody who has been in there and gone through those same processes and steps, it might sink in and, and set in a little bit, right? Like a lot of, co you know, we've made the joke before, those who can't do coach. Those who can't well, coach podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is one of those scenarios where uh, he could do to a level. So now, you know, naturally he wants to try and move into a situation that capitalizes on his strengths. And that was less playing. Yeah. That's more more uh, the involvement of the game. So I think it's a great move. Great I, move. I also like the fact that he came from two very high-powered teams. Uh, he coached underneath Pop, mm -hmm. Greg Popovich. Uh, anything you can learn from that dude is going to be fantastic. But also, like, just yep. coming from the Nets, right? Being able to be an assistant head coach or uh, just be able to, to work with the talent and to be able to, like you said, look at someone and say, you're out of alignment. We're like, we're, we're in man or we're in zone. You need to be here because of what's going to happen. It's almost like that, uh, that, that segment from the last dance where Scotty, not Scotty Pippen. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> where, uh, <laughs> that's a, where, that, where, that needs a whole separate podcast. <laughs> no, I think. No, we, 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 we get through it. Where, uh, where, where Dennis Robin was like, and I go here and they, and I go here. Like, I feel like he may, as a coach could really do that. He could he could speak to a guy like Marcus Smart and say, "You need to be smarter. You can be aggressive. This is the level you need to be. And here's where you can be aggressive. Here's where you can't." And he can also go to to Brown and Tatum and say, "Guys, I need more." And yeah. it's not that he's imposing physically. It's the fact that he can get something out of them that Stevens could not. Um, and yep. I I think we're going to see a much grittier return to form Boston Celtics next season. I'm here for it. I'm like, I'm really hyped because you don't get a coach that just comes from a couple of these high powered teams and then comes here and just goes, now nah, I'm going to sit back on my laurels. No, this person wants to make a mark, which means we're going to see Celtics players want to delve the first punch instead of getting punched and then reacting to it and surviving a yeah. game. Not that they're actually going to punch yep. people on the court. That's not good. But um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. He's already building out his staff and in a weird way, I think Stevens replacing um, Danny Ainge is, is a good move because I, I think Stevens is really good at scouting players. But I, yeah. I, I don't know if necessarily when we look back on the Celtics experiment, I don't think we would say he was a fantastic coach. I mean, we didn't bring home a, a trophy. So, you know, we'll see there. What, one last thing. Some shit about Danny Ainge possibly – accepting a role within the Utah Jazz organization. Did we not just sit through a press conference two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where he was like, I'm retired. I'm trying to play all this golf. And now he's going to Utah? What is this? Did we just get bait and switch? Like, 
was maybe Danny part of the problem? I'm not sure. But my goodness, this was that was a little upsetting when I when I seen that across the Twitter sphere. I said, "Oh, okay, yeah, you retired and gave Brad your job. You're just gonna go work in Utah." But nah, two plus two does not equal six. Danny Ainge, what is going on here? I want the Seth Wickersham article about the Celtics from this year. I want it, even though I know it's gonna <laughs> be bad for the team. I want it. I want to know all the dirty secrets or write a book. Someone write a book, please. Jeez. Oh, it'll 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 happen. It'll be there. One last thing before we get out of this episode of Stats Matter Podcast. Scotty Pippen had a lot of a lot of things to say this week in a Tyler Tynes article in GQ. And Tyler Tynes is a fantastic journalist. He did a great podcast series un- unearthing the science behind Cam Newton. So I'd recommend you listen to that on Spotify as part of the Ringer Podcast Network. But Pippen's article in GQ, he he really pulled yeah. no punches. And then on Dan Patrick, he doubled down on a lot of things. Uh, my my quick takeaways from it. I don't believe that Scotty's trying to sell bourbon or popcorn. I think Scotty Pippen saw the last dance during the height of the pandemic and thought, I can do this too. He's writing a book. It's coming forward. Mm-hmm. His take yep. about Phil Jackson being racist, I don't agree with at all. I mean, you can't coach one of the right. greatest players in the game and Kobe Bryant write a book about the dysfunction of the team, which is what he was doing. And probably one of the people that the forefront of that dysfunction was Kobe Bryant. Any coach would write a book about that. He came back and coached the team again in which Bryant stayed. I don't think Bryant would have stayed and been coached by a racist. I I don't understand necessarily why I feel Scotty is almost like in his galaxy brain part, but I, I I don't, I don't like it. You, You can, you can say, I, I made the the glue of those teams, but the last dance already provided the counterpunch. You had the team without Michael. You didn't beat the Pistons. You didn't get to the, the finals. You didn't win a championship without Mike. Like, it's okay to look at the Chicago Bulls, six championships, and say you wouldn't have won without every single player. It's fine to say that because Mike didn't mm-hmm. win without everyone else. But Mike still won six ships. So did you. You made that money. You didn't have a great contract because of you and Jerry Krause. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't think at this point, post the last dance, that you can come out and just throw all the shade and just not have it look in a certain in a certain light or a certain manner. It just it just seems to be wicked extra to me. Yeah, I um I don't I don't know what I don't know what to make of it. Um, I. It, some of it reeks a little bit of sort of desperation and like a look at me, look at look at my story. But I do think he was an integral part in a lot of he was you know, big that runs, and I think maybe he, and I think he was feeling feeling maybe like a little bit underrepresented. But I think his approach is just, I mean, he's just coming out, just throwing darts at everybody, uh, just saying whatever he feels like, and I, like to me, it doesn't make a ton of sense as as to the timing of it the reasoning behind it like there's got to be something that's that's going to come out that ultimately is going to work off of all of this publicity right like you you come out with your article in gq and then you're showing up on like tv shows like it's usually a publicist or someone else is helping yeah. or like an agent is driving we don't do that something for bourbon yeah. and popcorn yeah you just don't yeah you, you just like, pay someone you just pay someone who's really good at search engine optimization to just 
smash all the ads on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You don't you don't come out for someone's head like Phil Jackson and just say, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a racist. I, I would like that is a massive charge to levy against someone. And like, what did did you get a, a text from Beyond and Kobe was like, yeah, write that in the book. No, you didn't. Yeah, and there's, I mean, uh, I I would. I almost don't want to say it, but I almost wonder if this is some sort of like grieving process with the tragedy that it's going through right now. Right. He lost his son in April and I, you don't know where he's at, like emotionally or mentally or or what his thought process right now, where maybe he's at the point where he's like, you know what, this is an eye opener. Like I should be speaking my mind and saying these things right now because it's hit so close to home. You know, I, I don't I don't know the timing of it. Just you're reeling off of that. That was in April. That was. Yeah, two it's months fresh, ago. right? Yeah, that's like, I mean, those are all is. those are all plausible explanations for what could have happened for sure. Yeah, and we're yeah. In, so I think a, this is as a media society, Tim. We're all consuming it, so we're all sort of complicit in the fact that, like, yeah, go ahead on this podcast. Yeah, go ahead do that article. Yeah, go ahead write a book. I mean, I'm gonna buy yeah, the book, right? Because it's just like I don't know shit about basketball, so I'm like, I'm trying to learn. But <laughs> like, yeah, you could have written this book just... many years ago if if it's really out there. Yeah, for me, I just hope that this doesn't turn into something um, down the road where he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Because you start calling, you know, one of arguably the greatest coaches uh, of several generations a racist uh, in a league full of, you know, black and brown players uh, and players of all ethnicities. That's a pretty scathing I think, I think they would have said something, accusation. right? And I also think Michael Jordan would have definitely said something. I definitely think that. Yeah. there's. There's no amount of winning six championships that alleviates the fact that a guy on your team supports the KKK. Like that just, you know, I'm using it as an example, but like it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. It it just doesn't absolve like all those things. And and if that's the way he feels, that's the way he feels. Um, That interview he gave with Dan Patrick was pretentious. It really was. Um, And there was was at one point where I got to give, I got to give credit to Dan Patrick because I'm, if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would have handled it the same. Um, where he said something and then Patrick was chewing on it for a second. He goes, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you speak English? And I'm just like, Scotty, like, why? Why are you coming yeah, at this it's... dude? Like, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, of all the shit that could have happened in 2020, that could have been on our bingo card. We're in 2021. We're coming out of the pandemic. We're trying to get back to living our lives again. Like, this is not what we need. This is not what we need at all. Um, and I... Yeah. I, I hope if there's something that's that's going on behind the scenes, I hope that there's there's assistance for it. But there are a lot of things that just don't make a lot of sense, and I I just wonder if 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 there's something else going on there, you know? Yeah, like Shaquille O'Neal, right? Who's the most outspoken and would not uh, hesitate to call someone out on their bullshit. Hundred uh, percent. He, he came. He came out. Quote unquote. I don't want to get involved in other people's beef, but. Bill is definitely not a racist, O'Neill said. He's like, what he said about Barkley makes a lot of sense, but he's coming out with a new drink and a new book. Maybe this is all marketing. So, and like, when you have a guy like that, Shaq, who owns many Papa John's franchises and, you know, is an unabashed businessman, and he, and he can keep that and the game separate. I think this is probably yeah. a little mixture of the both. It's just, ugh. yeah, agreed. So, all right. Well, let's wrap up this episode of the Sassan Raider podcast. We thank everyone for joining us here. Find the whiskey, find the beer. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Oh, 
Are we, are we you, waiting? you can give me your, your NHL prediction. Oh my god! Who you got right now? We didn't, we didn't do that. We skipped that. You I, know put, I put it in the notes and we, and we skipped it. All right, hold on. You know what? Right now you're you're thirty second. Who's gonna win? And you, you can give me why or why not. Got reaction. Montreal Canadiens. And I don't want to say it, but this is the thing. They, they got their ass whooped in game one. I think they're going to make a, a, a scope to come back in game two. They have a lot of depth. They faced a team like Tampa Bay before. Um, not as prolific as Tampa Bay with the depth of Tampa Bay for sure. But they haven't won a game. Sorry, they haven't won a, a cup since 93. Like this is mm-hmm. this is their chance to do it. And I think we're going to see some fantastic hockey down the stretch. That's what I think. So I think even though they All got right. that ass beat, I, I think I think the Habs can pull it out, but it's going to be seven. All right. Uh, I'm going Tampa Bay, actually. I think they've got the depth, the speed, the the hunger on that back check to constantly keep on pressure. Uh, they took game one uh, in pretty convincing fashion. So um, I thought going into the, the post, uh, into the finals that uh, they kind of had to leg up. Uh, the Habs, obviously, is a Bruins fan. Uh, you know, any of the Canadian teams are always – you know, something to pause and, and yep. look at. However, um, I think Tampa's just got too much going on. Um, that being said, uh, they're also up two to one uh, halfway through the third. So. Yes, yep. But but that momentum but that, that's close, right? That's close because remember, game one they absolutely they put a Red Bull style spanking <laughs> yeah. on the Habs, and that's not happening. The game is much closer this time. So to me, that says yeah. that the team is actually excuse me pulling making it together, some adjustments, making yeah. some adjustments, and that's why I think it'll be. It'll be a series of seven. Yeah. Um, also, one last thing. Shout out to uh, the authorities overseeing uh, the Tour de France. They arrested the woman uh, holding the sign. Oh, um, did you see Sam, that? Sam and I, yeah, Sam and I talked about this uh, a couple podcasts ago when we pleaded, we pleaded for the sports fans, fans not, not to be things. assholes yep. when you get out to these live events. And what you saw is somebody prioritizing a viral moment over the safety of players. And it was something you see all the time when you're on a bike, someone's looking at their phone, someone's doing something stupid. They're not paying attention. They're taking selfies. This woman held the sign and literally took out and injured a ton of people. Like some of the bikes were like snapped in half. It was insane. It was insane. When you cause an accident at the head of the peloton, everyone in that peloton gets messed up. It's not like if there's a string of like five riders and all five of those guys get fucked up. It's like yeah. 30. Especially and, in a scenario yeah. where uh, there were already some heightened emotions because of several course crashes that have sort of marred the Tour de France at this point. In fact, today there was a, like a, a minute long protest where everybody waited and then they went to try and like protest. I, it, it, I mean, it was a silly protest, but everybody was protesting like better course safety. Um, you know that, and instead of standing there and owning it and being like, "Oh, geez, I screwed up," she ran and like fled the country, and then ended up getting uh, getting caught. Like, uh, you, you you messed up. Own up to it. Like, you're on video. Whatever penalties. Yeah, yeah, it's not like you're getting away. But oh my god, she, she couldn't have looked any dumber. Literally leaning out with a sign that said "Go, Grandma and Grandpa." We don't know if that's what it was supposed to mean or if it was like. A combination of languages that just didn't translate the way she had intended it to, but lots of ifs and what uh but it's it's a it's a disaster. But shout out to to pinning her down. I don't think she should go to like jail or anything crazy, but she should be on the hook for some of the costs of the the 
you know, damages and and whatnot. But Tour, Tour de France, yeah. Tour de France, stop fans. being assholes at live events, like, guys and gals. We had the U.S. Open, yeah. We had the U.S. Open. The guy ran out on the uh, yes. Did you see that? Ran he, out on the court, out of the field, uh, and he just threw geez. two balls down. And he hit the first one, and then he hit the second one, and he like he tried to run away. Yeah. Like, come on. Come on, man. It was it was funny, but you're just setting a precedent every time one of those things goes viral that some other idiot's going to try and do it. And, yeah. You know, come on. We just got sports back. Give us a break. And stop. Right. Stop fucking yelling at every hole. It's not going to go in the hole. It's a 580 yards away. If it's a 300 yards away. It's probably not going to go in the hole. So stop the green, it. Tim. Drive the green. Dude, and, and the scenarios where you're doing it a little too close to the swing and the announcers are like, hey, keep it classy, guys. Like, just stop yelling. It's or stupid. Everyone hates it. Phil had a couple delays, right? Because people were taking stuff yeah. with their phone. You know what I mean? That's <sighs> bad. Stop. All right. All right. Anyway. Fans, don't be dinks. Stop being dinks. And that yeah. will officially do it for this episode of a Statsimeter Podcast. We will talk to you all very soon. Find the beer. Find the whiskey. Find some fucking AC, Tim, because, Jesus, Virginia and Connecticut looking real suspect right now with these 90-plus degree days. Um, I was told that the Northeast was supposed to be cool, but if you guys are showing the same thing on the thermometer that we're showing down here, that ain't no good. So, yeah. Stay cool. Yeah, it was uh, the the real feel yesterday was... uh, It was 100... uh, It was 98, and the real feel was 107 with super high humidity to the point when you walked outside you felt like you were cooking what you guys can't really see is i got this like it's 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 been 24 hours and i like my burns turned to tans pretty quick but i got this sort of red hue (laughs) because i took my son to a very sandlot style public pool and uh yep lathered up sunscreen everything twice it was so hot and the sun was so strong that i still left with a burn with like 60 fps on it was it was insane uh, pro tip but, 100 spf you gotta do it that's why i look like this yeah i'm buying one of those hats uh who made that hat again hemlock hat shout out to hemlock hat hemlock hat <laughs> shout out to hemlock hat uh we'll take uh we'll take well sam's got one so we'll take one of those please and uh sa- save my ears save my scalp save my neck i'm actually going back it's funny you mentioned that but as we're as we're rolling out here you know cue the music yeah i'm actually rolling back up to uh the delaware beaches here Pretty soon, so I might I might be able to swing by and get your hemlock hat. Shoot it over to All you. Right. All right, I go. Uh, I'm on vacation. Oh, one last announcement. We, I go on vacation uh, July 16th, so we'll get an episode in before I go. But there's a chance yep. we uh, Sam will be riding solo, or uh, we may uh, we may be off for a two week hiatus. I think we're off for two week hiatus. My wife's 30th birthday is the 17th, and then we're going to the beach the next week. So might have yeah. to get some content so. in. So. All right. But it is what it is. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Peace.